Hey everybody, Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. Tonight, we're going to hear from NBA Jam book author Rayon Ali. He is a super cool guy. He has done some fascinating writing, some great interviews, and uh, he is a blast to talk to. So I'm not going to do a whole lot to hype this one up. He does the hard part for me. So sit back and relax. Enjoy this chat with Rayon Ali. Video call is like it feels more like we're actually in the same room versus just, you know, what's going on over there, what's going on over there. So I'm absolutely happy to do it by video. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I will warn you. Yeah. I still have this detective uh, spotlight. So this is all, this is the only light I've got for this angle. I can go turn on a different light if you need me to. I No, I like that. It, it It's like you're hiding in a basement so we can do the interview and it feels very like. Exactly. Yeah. It feels yeah. much more important this way. Oh, it, oh very, okay. All right. I like it. Then for effect, we'll keep it as is. Max tension, yes. I uh, I've done a, a, a couple of podcasts so far. I've done a handful, and I kind of like the fact that it's like you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, that's what I when I, I listen to interviews or I listen to like you know I watch live television. I'm just like, what's going to happen? What are they going to say? So <laughs> even if you don't any edit out any uh, anything inane I say, I will not be bothered. That said, though, if you do, all the better. I have friends who do, and I guess in the age of uh, Twitch broadcasting and everything, that's pretty natural, but I have a lot of friends who do live podcasts, and I think, if you can make that work, good for you. I'm, I yeah. am, I don't enjoy that pressure <laughs> to get everything yeah, right. No, no, no. That is true, though. There is an element of pressure about that, too, yeah. Especially if you're, you're talking about something, and then you forget what you're saying mid-sentence, yeah. and you're like, oh, yeah, let me answer this question. I don't remember what the question is, but I'll just keep going. My my classic move is I'll uh, when I'm doing stuff with my co-host I'll say uh, yeah the answer to that question is two parts and I'll go through the first one and you never get to that second one. If I got the second one, yeah, it's gone. It's 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 gone over there. It's gone in the abyss with the Skype call. So, Trying to get better at that, yeah. So yeah, um, well, I had a couple questions for you. Um, one was well, actually, first off, I I've got an unusual name, so I'm often asked about it. So my name is Rayon. And yeah, if you never need, if you ever forget. Just think of crayon without the C. Now, that's not like a direct, it's not like a one-to-one correlation, but it's close enough that in a pinch, you're like, what's this dude's name? Crayon without the C, just rayon. Awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> of course. I mean, I, I I have to do that. Like, I work in customer service, and then I get all kinds of stuff. I get, like, Reagan, Ryan, of course, uh, all kinds of misspellings. Um, I got Ratliff, which is like, are you even, like, looking at my name? Ratliff? That's I'm missing like a bunch of letters from that. Like that's not even close, man. I've never met a single rat lift now that I think about it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, according to an insurance agent, probably over somewhere in California, I am rat lift. So you are meeting, you are with rat lift in the, fre- in the flesh right here. You're so, my go-to rat lift now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Everybody needs a rat lift in their lives. Um, oh, I've got a, I've got a family member who the kind of guy you only ever see at funerals. So I've only ever seen him like twice in like seven or eight years. Something sure. like that. Yeah. He calls me Raven. And I haven't corrected him. He says, hey, Raven, how you doing, buddy? And I say, I'm, I'm doing all right, man. How are you? So uh, that's pretty much the extent of my interactions with him. But to him, I'm Raven. So fuck it. Call me anything. Yeah. Well, nobody yeah. ever messes up Todd. So unless we're in a loud room and then no one hears it. Like, what's your name, Todd? What? You know. Do you, um, do you forget, like, I'm trying to think of how you could butcher that. Rod, maybe? Or you could be like Todd with one D. I, <laughs> I, I do get that. Yeah. yeah. Tell you the truth, my dad's name is Don, and people will routinely confuse those names. So, yeah, fair yeah. enough. I guess there's always something. It's like they're pretty much never safe. Yeah. Like, 
Except for Doug. I was thinking about the, the name Doug, so I actually go by the name Doug in restaurants because my name's so unusual. I often go by Doug. Smart. Uh, and I'm like, there's only <laughs> one spelling for Doug. You're not going to screw up Doug, all right? There's D-O-U-G. There's nothing else. That's it. There's no other name like Doug. You're going to go with Doug. And then one time I was in a restaurant, and there was another Doug who ordered the sandwich. And we both got up at the same time. And I was like, well, let's look at the real Doug and get this one. So. And you, you go over to the other guy like, dude, what's your real name? Yeah, exactly. Come on. <laughs> let, let's let's talk, okay? So you, you hear my name? Yeah, it's, it's Rayon. It's Crayon without the C. Yeah. <laughs> nice to meet uh, you. My name's Ratliff. Yes, yeah. Man, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me on. I, uh, I actually have your name in a notepad uh, doc on my phone. Just because when we talked, I think it was like, man, time flies. Six months ago, probably a year, six months ago, a year ago. I don't know whenever we had that first uh, DM exchange. So yeah. I definitely, I remember this was going to happen. I'm so I'm very excited that you're having me on here, man. I really appreciate it. It's awesome. You were one of the first people I contacted after making a series of upgrades to like the recording equipment and the studio yeah. setup. This is uh, nice, man. This is legit. I'm over here in the basement. <laughs> You've got like I don't know if that's that's uh, soundproofing or what, but it looks. It nice. is, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, I did that myself. Wow. Did not really know what I was doing, but it seems to have helped. So yeah, that's excellent though. And is that a is that a like, like a joystick on your left or what is that? So what we have right here, this was a gift. Um, I I do a little bit of boxing and boxing training, so this is a Christmas oh. present I got. It's a little punching bag for the desk. That's you know? awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. My son that's, loves that's it. The Skype call goes down like over and over again. Now if the Google Hangouts goes down, then it'll probably get some use. Yeah. My, uh, my four-year-old, I can get a lot more work done if I've got this thing attached to my desk. That's awesome. That's so cool, man. Yeah, you've got a great setup. It's, it's working out fine, and uh, things seem to be going a little better. So likewise, I definitely appreciate you uh, taking some time to do this. Of course. We, of course. I, was, I was so excited when we first crossed paths on Twitter. But now having followed you a while, I feel kind of bad taking up your time because when you're left to your own devices, you put up some of the coolest posts on Twitter. You find all the coolest gaming history stuff and all of the cool memorabilia. That's a, a pretty great gift to, to the Internet. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. So I've been working on this for so long that I've amassed like this big archive. I've got something like 90 pages, probably more than that, of all kinds of different videos I've saved and ads and all kinds of weird stuff. And I, every day I'm like, okay, what is something that's, that people might not have seen or forgotten about? So I'm so excited. There's so much interest. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to do NBA Jam. And I was like, I'll do NBA Jam in Midway. And then I'll do NBA Jam and some 16-bit stuff. And now I'm like, let's do a whole bunch of different stuff. So no, thank you so much for the support. And I'm, yeah, I'm so, I, I'm amazed sometimes people are so into it. I was like, I'm just doing this to be like, Hey, if you like this, then, you know, you might eventually be into an NBA GM book. Uh, but now I'm like, this has like a life of its own and you got to give me like a request or a challenge or something. I got to try to find something. <laughs> That's a good point. And, and I'll uh, open that up to listeners too. like, go yeah. ahead and throw something out and see if you can find it. I would lean into it and go full, like consider yourself a gaming historian and just add that little extra bit of clout, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things is that I never really expected this to be part of the project. So uh, we'll talk, of course, about the progress of the book and whatnot on the podcast. But I never really expected something like this to be like, okay, I'm going to do, do some of this before launching. But now it's like, yeah, I, got, I have all this uh, momentum. So, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a great idea. There's a couple of other uh, video games I'd love to do projects about in detail. So maybe I could, like, do something with it. I don't know. But in the meantime, shit, it's just fun. That, that was actually the answer to my first question. You know, you very naturally got into posting cool historical finds and tidbits and everything. Obviously, we're here to talk about the book, and we're certainly going to do that. I'm wondering if you can walk us through a little bit of your other popular work around the web. Like, I know you're a very accomplished writer. 
Yeah, yeah. So just a little bit of background on me. I started writing in 2008, uh, right when I uh, graduated from college, right before I was about to graduate from college. Sure. I started out working working uh, for alt weeklies and fanzines, things like that. I did a lot of music work, and then I started doing really heavily uh, on the music side once I graduated. And so I've written for let's see, a whole bunch of alt weeklies across the country, The Village Voice in New York. Let's see, Houston Press, a uh, whole bunch of papers in Orlando. Then I started doing magazines. Let's see, Wired.com. Well, actually, this is more of a website, but yeah, Wired.com, uh, RollingStone.com, Spins Print Edition, a whole bunch of stuff, The Atlantic, uh, Complex. So for years, I did music journalism and wrestling journalism, actually, and lots of pop culture stuff. And then eventually that's led up to the point where I was like, wanted to do a book, and I finally got the opportunity to do a book. So um, I've had a pretty, pretty extensive background before all of this. So and what's funny is that I never actually focused on video games at all before this. I only wrote maybe a handful of things about it, maybe two or three things over the years. But no, it's uh, I have had a whole other different life where I've talked to like, oh, Kesha and Mike Tyson and this person and that person and all kinds of cool stuff. So I've got some I've got a lot of good war stories. (laughs) I'll, I'll bet because when I punch your name into Google, it's just it's this wide variety of just very cool pop culture kind of stuff. And so I, I figured either you have a super wide variety of interests or you're just a very versatile writer. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've got I definitely have a huge variety of interests. I'm all into all kinds of different kinds of music. And I really love the idea of like, you know, taking on a challenge of like, how do you write an article about a rap group versus an indie rock group? And in fact, how do you write an article about an indie rock group when there's like 50 indie rock groups? Yeah, so yeah. what can you do to, to make a difference? So I know I've talked to all kinds of people along the way. Uh, on the wrestling side, there was Mick Foley, Mankind, mm. a whole bunch of WWE guys like Daniel Bryan. Let's see who else was there. Uh, oh, Dean Ambrose from WWE. Um, like I mentioned, Kesha and Mike Tyson. Those are a couple of cool ones. So, yeah, no, I've got a whole bunch of different interests. I was just hustling for years. It was all freelance. Almost all of it was freelance. So I've always wanted to be a writer, and I've always wanted to do it, do it seriously. Uh, the pay isn't quite there, and that's what makes it tough. So I really wanted to, like, take a break from that, So which is why I'm actually – I've got a day job, and then I do the writing stuff and all this stuff at night. Um, but for a while, I was just freelancing full-time, and it is a, it is a tough uh, road to go down. But yeah. it was really productive, and I got a lot of cool stories from it. Absolutely. And, and on the uh, game development side where I am – yeah. Between my full-time normal day job stuff and when I decided to go indie, I also did a very short run at journalism myself. And yeah. it's it's fascinating. I would recommend that people try it if they're into writing at all. Like, you learn a ton. You get to work with, like you said, the compensation's not always that great. And it's hard to put together your own workload like that. But the experience you get is just great. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is also is that you get the challenge of talking to strangers, which is a, a one of those life skills that actually pays off in other ways. I mean, what's funny is that I started doing this when I was in college, and I think my first interview was this band called Bull Treatment. And I did a lot of like uh, stuff for punk magazines and a lot of like rock stuff. And just talking to strangers and is kind of intimidating, but I kind of forced myself in that situation to do it for uh, my actual work. And then I, for, then after a, a while, I realized I was forcing myself to talk to these celebrities, which is more, which is pretty intimidating. You're yeah. thinking like, Oh no, I'm going to talk to this person, that person. And then after a while, then you start to get to know people and then you're like, oh, this isn't actually that scary at all. I mean, people are people. Um, so no, it's absolutely <laughs> super valuable. Plus you get to talk about cool stuff and then, yeah, I get to have a lot of cool experiences along the way. I went to a lot of concerts. I got some comp WWE events, a uh, whole bunch of other things and lots of life experience, like definitely life experience 
experience. Definitely a lot of stories. Very cool. So from there, how do we end up connected with Boss Fight Books? Yeah. So um, like I said, I started writing in 2008. And then uh, I wrote freelance for years. I never really written more than a handful of cover stories, but I always knew I wanted to do something longer. Uh, it's, you know, it's really a rat race out there. It's really tough to find your niche and to find something that people will uh, really connect to. And that's something that you can really build uh, interest off of. So I knew I wanted to do a book. I pitched a couple of different music books to the publisher 33 and a third. Are you familiar with 33 and a third? Uh, no, I don't think I am actually. So what they do is they publish short books based on uh, specific albums. Like they'll do uh, one for a Bob Dylan album, one for Dead Kennedys album, one for a Kanye West album. And these will all be individual books, pretty short, uh, mm-hmm. pocket-sized. But what Boss Fight Books did was they took that idea and then adapted it to games. And uh, I actually pitched 33 and a third on two different uh, books on a couple of different albums. It was uh, an Operation Ivy album and an Against Me album, um, two records I really loved. And both pitches were rejected, which sucks, but that happens. But I was like, sure. okay, you know, I still want to keep going. And then I did one for Boss Fight Books in 2015. And I went way overboard. I wrote 37 pages, like a 37 page pitch, not even <laughs> like anything, not the actual book, just the pitch. I was like, yeah. I really want this. Um, I, you know, I started thinking about what kind of video games could I do a book about or what, where would there would be interest or a good story that maybe some people know, but they don't really know a lot about it. And then eventually I landed on NBA Jam because I grew up uh, loving Midway. I actually worked on a Mortal Kombat website when I was a kid, too. Uh, that was my first nice. writing gig. Was uh, I think I was like 12 or 13, and I interviewed Dan Electro from Game Pro Magazine. Huh. He was the first one I ever did before anybody. And I did this pitch for Boss Fight Books, and then they were into it, and then that turned into something else. And I, at first I was like, oh, this will only take me a year. That'll be it. But then I talked to one person, I talked to another, and more and more, and then the research uh, stacks up and then just piles up one after one after one. And at this point, I've got 68 interviews, all dedicated to NBA Jam. And oh. there's some stuff over here. Is you know, there's so I have so much stuff that'll never see the pages of this book, unfortunately, because the reality is I only have so much time and so many topics I can talk about. Sure. You know, if I just throw everything out there, then you'll be like, oh, this isn't really a story. But yeah, no, it was it's been super fulfilling and super cool. And you know what? Along the way, I've actually got to interview Dan Electro from Game Pro Magazine all these <laughs> years later. So first interviewed him in like '99 or 2000, and then interviewed him again in 2016 or 17. So it's very cool to have it all come full circle. And the book is so close to being finished and so close to being out uh, that I really can't wait for people to see it and for all this to actually come to fruition, people to know the story of NBA Jam, which has turned out to be even better than I thought it would be. I'll bet. Is there a loose release date or is there a timeline of any kind out right yeah, now? Yeah, so hopefully, so I'm aiming for the next few months. Uh, okay. I've finished the book last year. I'm now working on some rewrites based on some notes from my editors. And then once they have that back, hopefully that'll be the final draft or at least close to the final draft. Then we'll turn that around into galleys. So um, I don't have a specific time. I'm keeping it kind of very loose because I don't want to say a specific date. Then it get pushed out. That's what I did in the first uh, place when I was working on the project, which wasn't a good idea. Definitely learning experience. Mm -hmm. So I'd say soon to keep, keep it very vague, but uh, realistically probably within the next three to six months, hopefully. Um, and I've got a whole, a big last push I'm going to be, do, be doing over the next few days to get through this next pile of work. It's definitely weird to come back to, you know, you write something and you're like, oh, I'm done. This is great. And you have to come back to it and you're like, oh, okay, well, this was my baby, but then I have to make some changes. And there's some really, you know, some salient points over there. Yeah. So um, anyways, yeah, I'd say like, let's say soon, but probably within the next three to six months. 
Okay, cool. Very cool. Yeah. 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 It is weird as a writer. It's, it's funny for the, like we said, the sort of light compensation at times, Yeah. how, how very well-rounded and mature and patient you're required to be like, you have to be sort of a, a next level human <laughs> and have Absolutely. these, these very advanced uh, skills and just this capacity for criticism and everything. And it's, it, it is even at, at low levels, even with like blogging, it's just, you have to really bring, the best kind of uh, human to the table, or you'll just be uh, a wreck the entire time. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's such a wild West. And it's one of those things where I realized that, you know, if you ever like, for example, I used to do uh, CD reviews and I realized that if you do a CD review and you say something that's not positive about a band, you'll get something in the comments that just the reality you say something, you put yourself out there. Um, I've definitely gotten some interesting comments over the years. I uh, review this band, uh, none more black. I reviewed their CD and somebody said in the comments once, uh, I hope the reviewer gets molested. And I was like, wow. It was, it was a positive review, too, guy. It was like, it was like, wasn't even that bad of a review. But people say all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, you need to have that. But it's a weird world of working in journalism, especially freelance journalism, where, you know, you're part of the publication, but you're not quite part of the publication. Yeah. And um, that said, though, that still means though, that, you know, if you get to freelance, you get to have somebody, you know, get to represent a name for a little bit, which is very cool. Uh, even if nothing really comes of it past that, or even if you don't really pursue that, like I did, um, like what was something I did? Okay, so I interviewed um, this gentleman who does the promo videos, the hype videos for WWE matches. Like right before the main event comes on, you'll see something like that. Sure. I interviewed him for Wired. And it was so cool talking to this guy. I would have no reason to talk to him otherwise, but I got to talk to him. And like the time Mike Tyson called me up uh, for this story I was doing, it was like, wow, what is Mike Tyson going to call me? He's going to call me only for this. Otherwise, Mike Tyson has no reason to call me. Right. But, yeah, stuff like that. So, no, it's it's a definitely a very interesting world. I mean, you get to meet weird people, do lots of weird things. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you, you get a lot of value out of it if you look at it from different angles. And, and I have read – I think I've read two or three books from Boss Fight, and they, they're kind of all over the scale. Some of the ones I've read are very small, very personal – uh, stories about how they connected with different games. They're all based around games from what I've seen. And uh, the first one I read, I think was cr- about Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was largely just the recollections of a person who had very personal experience with it. Uh, they lived in Japan for a while and here's what they thought about the whole thing. And here's how these things c- connected, which was very cool. But it's also very interesting that someone with uh, your level of journalism experience is coming to put together a proper, you know, history of you know that that sort of experience for readers about nba jam and uh i've also seen some very cool projects from like staffers at kotaku and for anybody thinking that boss fight is all just sort of very low-key personal stuff like probably go ahead and adjust your expectations especially for this book yeah absolutely yeah so just to give you an idea of what this book is actually about because i you know i'll tell people i'm writing a book about nba jam they'll say wow like how are you gonna write a book about nba jam what's there to say and there's so much to say, especially when you dive into its story. So just to give you an idea of my take on this, I'm um, going for a nonfiction uh, angle. I think there might be one 
and boss fights. Actually, I'm not sure if they've gone for fiction yet, but they definitely play around with different ideas. Yeah. But this is going to be more narrative, um, more narrative driven. It's the story of Midway, you know, going back to I go back further than than this period. But let's just say just for the for the synopsis, I focus on Mark Turmel, the creator of NBA Jam and his rise and his life in, in the video industry, which itself is just staggering. I mean, that could be a book itself. He's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then going through uh, up to the point where, you know, Midway starts really getting some momentum with the digitization technology they did with Mortal Kombat, with Revolution X and with NBA Jam. And look at like the creation of NBA Jam. I mean, this game was huge. Um, and I found out how big it was as I got to research it for the book. I mean, it made a billion dollars in the year, first year it came out, just in the arcades. Mm, yeah. A billion, which is a staggering number. I mean, that's not even counting any home ports, only the arcade. Mm. So it's a huge number. So I look at, you know, the creation of NBA Jam, the how we got to the point that NBA Jam was made, considering that the NBA initially rejected Midway's offer and did not want to be involved in the arcade business. And then it looks at, uh, you know, the success of NBA Jam, I've um, got uh, the stories of the uh, guys who wrote the very first NBA Jam strategy guide, which is a really cool story. I mean, this is going back to uh, an arcade in Kentucky, 1993, where they would, you know, they would take out their notebooks and write down secret character codes and mm-hmm. then scratch them off and try them over and over again. And then going through that uh, to, you know, all these great things happening for Midway and then Midway losing the NBA Jam license to Acclaim, uh, who is their partner on the home side. I also focus on the uh, on the home side and some of the crazy stories over there. And then I also look at, you know, what happened to Midway after that and what happened to arcade sports. I mean, it was such a huge genre for its time. And then, you know, I'm sure there's still arcade sports games out there, but all the focus is on NBA 2K. All the focus is on sim games. And then the arcade business itself uh, disintegrating. I look at that too. And then Midway itself. So there's a lot of stuff to cover, but I go through it in a narrative style that I think is, uh, I, you know, I think it's pretty thorough, but it's not exhausting. I mean, I've got characters, I've got a story, I've got all kinds of wacky little anecdotes. If you're an NBA Jam fan, I guarantee you, you will learn something new out of the, uh, new from this book, if not a ton of stuff. And I've interviewed all the principal people involved in the project, the, de- the development team, Tim Kitzrow, the announcer, celebrities that were secret characters like George Clinton, DJ Jazzy Jeff. I got to talk to Shaq for the book. When I talked to Shaq, that was crazy. That was super wild because this wasn't even representing an outlet, like I was saying before with Wired. This is just me in this NBA Jam book. Um, But people still have so much love for NBA Jam that I was able to get Shaq just for the book. Um, That was wild. Uh, John Romero, uh, who's a big fan of Mark Trammell. Yeah, I got to talk to him for a bit because he was Mark Trammell's fanboy. Before he got to make Smash TV and NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, he was this programmer for uh, the Apple II. And John Romero was a big fan of his, so I got to talk to him for the book. Eugene Jarvis, uh, all the classic Midway guys, four staffers from Acclaim, the cheerleaders in the game. Let's see. There's so many people I'm forgetting. Basically, I just amassed this whole story of Midway from beginning to end. And um, it's it's really happy and it's got a lot of fun parts. But it's got some pretty sad parts over there, too, when you consider the fact that this game came from a company that also made Mortal Kombat, which was also huge. Yeah. And the company is totally, you know, it's long gone. Mortal Kombat 11 is coming out, but Warner Brothers is putting out because they bought uh, the Mortal Kombat license probably for a song uh, when the uh, company went out of business in 2009. But, man, it's it's incredible that you left no stone unturned during the, the uh, research for this book. That's really cool. It's it's one of those things where I feel like it's my my duty in a way, and it's my obligation. I mean, I finished this, like I said, a bit ago, and I had been working on it for so long. I was like, 
I really I'm taking this very seriously because I know how much NBA Jam means to people. And I know just what the potential of a story like this could be for people who don't know about Midway. They don't know about the arcades. Maybe this is their introduction. And it's written in a broad enough way that, you know, you it's not like uh, it's not insulting the way of like, oh, this is what video games are. Like, you know, I'm not explaining the base things of everything mm-hmm. and insulting your intelligence. But I write in a broad enough way that you get to know the stories and the references and the details, um, even from a layman's perspective. So I really wanted to, yeah, talk to anybody I could, anybody who would give me time. You know, I talked to people at the top. I talked to the CEO of Acclaim and I talked to fans um, and I talked to a woman from Connecticut who has an NBA Jam tattoo. Wasn't able to include her story in the book, but she has uh, an NBA Jam tattoo that I think she got long after the game was popular. Um, but, you know, all kinds of different people. So, no, I, I took it very seriously. And that's where, like, if you see any of that cool Twitter stuff, that was all built off of the fact that I spent years looking up NBA Jam stuff and then decided to take notes about the other things along the way. And now I know where to find everything. Very cool. And do you think anybody else had pitched NBA Jam to Boss Fight before? I don't think so. No, no. And the thing is, yeah, I know they they never published any sports books before. They did uh, a whole bunch of different. Uh, I think they did RPGs, platformers, all kinds of things. Never a sports uh, sports game book. In fact, I'm not even sure that there is a sports game book. There might be one other one out there. Um, I think there was like some kind of like the business side of sports games. I think that was some kind of book I saw a while ago. But there's no, you know, there's nothing like that. Uh, but NBA Jam is worth it. I mean, and the stories about NBA Jam are fantastic. Not even counting the the midway stuff. I mean, just counting the NBA stuff and the vibe of the sports stuff. So no, I don't think that anybody done it before. So I feel really lucky that I had the chance to do this and I am going all out for it. It it certainly seems like it's in good hands. I mean, that's... Uh... I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the vote of confidence. And there's an excerpt out there too on Kotaku uh, that you can check out too. Right. There's a prologue on Kotaku, which I would recommend people do. I think it's a pen tweet on your account right now. Is mm-hmm. that correct? It is. Yeah, yeah. And then the real dream is to like have the next pin tweet be something, some you know, new fresh update about the book. But in the meantime, yeah, the the prologue is a fantastic place to go. Um, and then I've also got um, a page on BossFightBooks.com, so you could go to like I think it's tinyurl.com/nbajambook, and that'll have the synopsis in written form. But yeah, the prologue is a great place to start if you dig that vibe and the level of detail. The book goes into that and much more. Very cool. And and you say everybody was excited to to talk about NBA Jam even after all these years. I'm sure that's absolutely the case. Is anybody getting tired of it? I mean, was there any, you know, like, oh, you still want to, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good question. See, the thing is I started working on it uh, three years ago when uh, I feel like NBA Jam uh, hype and the nostalgia is like re- really reaching a fever pitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, ESPN.com, uh, they did a whole day dedicated to NBA Jam last March or April or something like that. It was crazy. Like, yeah, they changed the, the imagery on the, their Twitter accounts and whatnot. And there's all the stuff that they've done. I mean, the Golden State Warriors will do NBA Jam hype videos uh, with Tim Kitzro, um, the announcer uh, as the voice. So when I started, this was before all this stuff had happened, and there was some nostalgia. But you know, I don't think that there's ever there's ever been any real bad vibes about NBA Jam. I mean, people are so into it from all sides that they're like. The, yeah, I'll talk about it. I mean, the thing is, like, even let's say Mortal Kombat, which I love deeply. Mortal Kombat has that side where you say, oh, it's violent. Oh, there's this negative side, this negative side of it, of the controversy over this and that that happened in the 90s. With NBA Jam, you don't really have that. You just have all this positivity right. and all that reflected in the fact that I was able to get all these people. <laughs> I was uh, I was fascinated when you had posted some hidden uh, Mortal Kombat background art for NBA Jam that got cut from the game. 
I had never seen that before. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And I've got – there's a whole bunch more out there too, yeah. And what's really cool is the synergy of the teams at Midway. I mean, the Mortal Kombat team and the NBA Jam team, they worked doors down from each other. Mm-hmm. They you know, they came in, they chipped in on each other's games. Um, one of the things that I'm really most proud of is the portrait that this is going to portray of Midway. I mean, I get into detail as to like what their diets were like, what these guys were doing, what their schedules were like. Um, just to give you a little bit of, bit of detail now, they used to uh, – go out. They used to have a lot of fast food. They, they love fast food. They had, um, let's see. So Burger King figures in a major way into the NBA jam story, uh, the creator of NBA jam or the lead designer, Mark Trammell, and then, uh, Jamie rivet, who was a programmer of the game. They invented on fire over lunch at Burger King. And I, um, got to learn about, you know, something like stuff like that and how, you know, Ed Boone, uh, thought of Reptile when he was in a KFC drive through I mean, thinking <laughs> about this world of Midway was so interesting. I mean, you know, hearing that they would play Descent 2 and first-person shooters late at night, they would always really start to the, – the work would really start uh, getting going after management would go home after like 6, 7. Yeah. And that's when they'd really start cracking down. Um, but, no, I learned about a lot of stuff from Midway at that time period. So there's just so much different – there's so much material to cover and so many cool things. and. Especially when you consider, yeah, like the Mortal Kombat influence. I mean, you could do a fatality in NBA Jam. It was deleted. But in NBA Jam <laughs> Tournament Edition, you could do this fatality uh, where you push a guy and he turn into fire. So sort of like Scorpion's uh, fatality from Mortal oh, Kombat yeah. 1. Yeah. There's, there, there are a whole bunch of different connections. So, no, I mean, Mortal Kombat had a massive influence on NBA Jam. If there's any game besides – if there's any non-sports game that NBA Jam is connected to, it is 100% Mortal Kombat. I yeah. mean – I could probably talk about Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam alone for probably about 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> Something I was struck by was last year's GDC when they did the the classic retro game Postmortem, which was a, a panel by some of the NBA Jam guys. And they went into some of just the vast actual production stuff, like when they were filming the live action animations and, and uh, capturing people in front of green screens, which were... I think they mentioned blue screens and a lot of people have blue shorts on. Didn't really work out, (laughs) but but going into all that, that all the stuff they were doing at the time, it was just this incredible production, probably more so than a lot of people realize. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to give you an idea of the scope of NBA jams production. So when they got the green light from the NBA to put the heads on the players that came much after they started building the game. So they first started building the game uh, by finding uh, ball players who could stand in, against these blue screens for digitization sessions. And this one gentleman in particular named Willie Morris Jr. who was a bouncer in Chicago. And he was a streetball player. Mark Trammell found him once, and he had him come over. And then he did every single move you could think of, everything that you see in NBA Jam. You know, he had to do it over and over and over again from different angles. Mm-hmm. And then they amassed this slowly, and they had to go in and take these uh, take this footage, which I think was actually cap- captured on, I think it was like high 8 tape, and they edited it. You know, painstakingly removing pixel by pixel around the bodies. It was a massive production in terms of time. Um, just the heads alone took two months to make. <laughs> Tony Goski, the artist, uh, now he still works on the Mortal Kombat series. Um, yeah, he did those heads, which are fantastic. They really hold up. But he took he spent two months just on those fifty four heads that were in the game, oh. which is which is crazy. So no, it was a, a really elaborate process, and the same kind of technology that you saw with Mortal Kombat was what NBA Jam had. And with WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game, it was a pretty elaborate production. And NBA Jam took 10 months to make. 
And I know that a substantial amount of that was spent on, you know, making sure that the players actually moved right and looked right and mm-hmm. everything flowed well. Just just dynamite stuff. Just really, <laughs> really awesome. Especially like if you look at other games made around the same time, it's just head and shoulders above. It's really impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really interesting learning about the design philosophies of Midway. Like, for example, if you go to back to old Midway games, the contrast on the colors is really high. And that was something that I believe it was Mark Jamel was one of the people that really pushed for it. I mean, you know, you want to have really bright colors, colors that pop. You want something that's like aggressive and stands out. And the Midway style was was in your face, not really in like the, you know, not in that extreme way of like the low key, like not low key, but like the, I don't want to go so far to say low class, but like the not so, you know, the quality way of saying like in your face, mm-hmm. but it was very, you know, aggressive. Um you know, they had like the, the characters all were really large and they stood out in the arcade. The sounds were really good. And the fact that, they, yeah, they just spent so much time and effort like creating this world. I mean, I think it really paid off in the end. I mean, that's one of the reasons that NBA Jam says head and shoulders above so many other games is because the technology was so good. Yeah. I was having this thought when I was thinking about uh, all the questions I had for you. I yeah. got to thinking, why couldn't NBA Jam have become a steady series like Madden Football? But then I, I thought to myself, if it had, it would have come out something like Marv Albert basketball, and that might not have held up. <laughs> yeah. So there was the so Midway only made two NBA Jam games, which is crazy. I mean, they pretty right. much they knocked it out of the park. That's that's a bad analogy because that's the baseball analogy we're talking about basketball. Uh, they hit a three pointer. They did really well with NBA Jam itself, and then they you know of course they they crushed it with NBA Jam Tournament Edition, and then Acclaim got the license for NBA Jam Extreme. And then they tried to make it year after year, and then the game, the series basically flopped. They they took it more of in a sim route, too. But I also don't think that NBA Jam, honestly, as much as I love the game, would hold up if you did it year after year after year. People would be like, okay, what's new? Like, this is the same game over and over again. Yeah. You know, people will complain that, like, Madden is the same game from year to year. Well, NBA Jam is just two-on-two basketball. You know, there's nothing – there's no real sim modes you can do or anything like that because that's against the NBA Jam spirit. So I feel like if they had gone with that yearly route – we probably wouldn't remember the series as much. We probably would be like, okay, wow. You know, they really milked NBA Jam. I mean, NBA Jam 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, who needs that? So the fact that those those games flopped and nobody really remembers them, in a way I feel like it helps the NBA Jam um, mythology because they weren't – there's only a handful of them and they didn't keep making them for years and years. Yeah, it's it's true. We probably would not have looked back as, as fondly as we do now. And also mm-hmm. – when I come back all these years later and try the uh, the latest was uh, Xbox Live's On Fire Edition or whatever, that that was actually like a nice refreshing take on like nice smooth gameplay and I can do it online and everything. And, and yeah, if they had done too many versions of that, it wouldn't have all translated the same way at all. Absolutely, absolutely. I talked to him too, one of the leads on the team for the uh, Electronic Arts version of NBA Jam, which is another great story. I mean, that's a game that actually did really well for Electronic Arts and was produced pretty cheaply. Electronic Arts never really did anything with the license, which is why we haven't seen an NBA Jam game since 2011 or 2012, whenever On Fire came out. And they've just been sitting on the license for years. Man, there's so many things to talk about when it comes to NBA Jam. I just love it. I'm like, oh, we could just go down these (laughs) rabbit holes with you. Tell me this. All things being equal, who would you put in charge of like a new NBA Jam game? Or would you have Electronic Arts get off their butts and, you know, run with it? Man, that is a wow. That is a great question. <laughs> I've thought about so many NBA Jam things over the years. I've never thought about who I would ever want to make another one. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that's so tough. The, the, the dream project, the dream scenario for me, which I think would be kind of pie in the sky, but 
if let's say uh, you know NetherRealm decided they didn't want to do Mortal Kombat for a bit, there's enough people from that era and that have the same midway mindset that are still making games together that I would love to see what NetherRealm would do with NBA Jam. And of course, you know the people that are, are at NetherRealm, like Ed Boon and Steve Moran, Tony Goski, not just holdovers from the midway era, but still friends with the people that made NBA Jam. So they're the insight that you would get from Mark Trammell and Sal DeVita and the other people that were involved in NBA Jam would be so cool. In fact, now that I think about it, Tony Goski, an artist on the game, and now is over at NetherRealm working on Mortal Kombat. So you could have somebody who worked in the original NBA Jam work on NBA Jam again, uh, which would be super cool. So actually, you know what? They'd be my choice. You know, I don't think they've ever made a sports game. They've always made their little mini games for Mortal Kombat games. You know, I know that Ed Boon has a soft spot in his heart for NBA Jam. So I would be really interested to see what they would do with it. Nice. I think that's a perfect answer. (laughs) I appreciate it. I was thinking, man, who could you do with that? But I feel like it's right there in front of you. Yeah, it's it's so neat, though, that, you know, there's so many of these people that are still connected after all these years. I mean, Midway... Uh, the bonds are still there. Uh, there was a post uh, that, or rather there was a tweet that uh, Ed Boone posted of him having dinner. I think it was with him and Tim Kitzrow, the NBA Jam announcer. And I think Mark Turmel was there and Sal DeVito was there too. And it was so cool seeing the the reunion of these guys from Midway. And they're all still close. I mean, uh, Sal DeVito, who did the art on the game, and then he also did the motion capture for NFL Blitz. He was Nightwolf in Mortal Kombat 3 and Sector and Cyrax. Um, and then Mark Turmel, the lead designer of NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, they're still friends. Uh, I called them up once. I called up Sal DeVita for my last interview with him, and he was playing Fortnite over at Turmel's place. Uh, <laughs> over, I forget what the holiday was, but they, were, but they were spending time together. And I was thinking, wow, that's a beautiful story in itself. I mean, these guys started working together midway, and all these years later, they're hanging out, uh, you know, playing Fortnite with uh, Turmel's kids. That's It's exactly the kind of future we would have wanted at the time. When we were young and playing NBA champs, like, yeah, I hope these yeah. guys stay around forever, you know. Yeah, the company's gone, but the spirit of Midway is still around in bits and pieces, especially in NetherRealm. So it's so cool to, you know, know there's that camaraderie and that love that's still there. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things I loved about Midway, too. I mean, that group of developers had a personality. Like, Midway games, you know, they were brash, they were aggressive, bright sounds, bright colors, fast, you know, secrets. I mean, they would be tongue in cheek. They would always go for, you know, squeezing the most out of rumors. And those people are still in the games business. And it's so cool seeing that, knowing that they're friends and, you know, seeing photos of them having lunch together is just like, okay, all's well in the world. Midway's long gone, but the people are still, those connections haven't gone anywhere. It is. That's so encouraging. I love, I love hearing that. Obviously, we're going to have a very successful book launch here. No doubt about it. People are going to eat this up. I hope so. I hope so. No, I hope so. <laughs> so you tell me what you think is next for Rayon. Yeah. So it's tough to, to like pinpoint what would be next after something like this. So, you know, I do this against the day job, um, which means that like the real goal, of course, would be going back to writing and doing something in more detail. Um, I go back and forth on doing another nonfiction project because nonfiction is really tough to write um, in the way that not because it's, you know, I find it hard to find stories, but you have to research facts and interview people. And, you know, I went way overboard with this 68 interviews, which means I transcribed 68 interviews. I had questions for 68 interviews. I scheduled 68 interviews, you know, and plus all those other things along the way I researched. So that's a lot of stuff. But that said, though, I mean, the, the project was still a lot of fun to work on. So maybe another nonfiction project, 
definitely want to do something more about video games. And then I'd also love to do some fiction at some point um, and try something different. I mean, the nice thing about fiction is you don't have to clear it with anybody. You don't have to fact check a thing. It's up you come to you. up with it. Hey, put it on the page. Go for it. Exactly. So as opposed to like listening to something over and over again and contextualizing stuff and saying, is this person telling the truth or is that person telling the truth? Is this worth including? Is that worth including? With fiction, you can go wild. So I'd love to do something different for a spell. I don't know what, but either way, writing full time would be the dream. Very cool. And for people who want to keep in touch with you and figure out, um, they want to be the first to know when NBA Jam the book comes out, where can they find you around the web? I am at twitter.com slash NBA Jam book. If you are into 90s games, if you're into arcades, if you're into the classic NBA, uh, of course, if you're into NBA Jam, if you're into Mortal Kombat, I guarantee you, uh, if you follow me, you will see something you've not seen within like two or three days. Like you'll, and I'm not saying that to be cocky or anything like that, but it's more that I find stuff myself that I'm like, I did not know that existed. Um, and I've got all kinds of cool stuff I'm saving up for the actual book launch and, uh, that I haven't posted yet, especially the NBA Jam stuff. I mean, the really good NBA Jam stuff I'm holding tight on to uh, for when that time comes. So yeah, so if, you, uh, if you're interested, check me out over there. Uh, tinyurl.com slash NBA Jam book for a synopsis and a pre-order. And then also at Kotaku, you can read the excerpt. It's about the very first night that NBA Jam went on test. And I take you right inside Dennis's Place for Games. It was, I think it was 957 West Belmont Avenue in Chicago. And you get an idea of what those people were seeing and how the vibe was that very first night. And the, the changes they had to make to the game immediately after working on it. I've got more irons in the fire to come. But the big stuff is, of course, focused on NBA Jam right now. So Twitter.com slash NBA Jam book. That is the source. And once uh, the actual news drops, once I'm ready to get it out there, the Twitter will probably be the first place it'll go. Absolutely. Well, I smell a bestseller. <laughs> oh, you're too kind. If nothing else, man, I hope that somebody reads this. You know what I, What like my fantasy of this is, is like some somebody reads this and they're younger. Like, let's say they're like, let's say 15, 16, something like that. And they're like, boy, these arcade games, they sound pretty cool. Like maybe this is like a kind of game worth making. And then people realize just how much value there is in making arcade games. And then, man, that's the real dream is that somebody makes an amazing arcade game. And then, you know, 20 years from now or 10 years from now or whatever they say, you know, I, I, I read this NBA Jam book and I liked what it said about arcades. So I wanted to make an arcade game. I mean, that would be like that. would I would be over the moon for that. But a bestseller would be fantastic. Um, just people enjoying it and then going back and playing NBA Jam again and looking at it completely differently would be so satisfying, too. If you go back to NBA Jam to like a, you go to a barcade or something, you play it, you're like, okay, I know what is going on there, there, and there. I know what's, you know, why this happens, why that happens. Um, if somebody felt that like empowered uh, to know so much about NBA Jam to learn more and to play it more, I feel like I would that would be a huge success too. So we'll wait and see. Uh, I'm so grateful for all the support. Thank you so much for having me on, man. My pleasure. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. No. It's uh, and it's so cool. And if nothing else, I mean, I grew up loving NBA Jam, so it's uh, it's great to share this love for this great game and, you know, relive some of these memories and talk about old stuff that was kind of ridiculous and some stuff that was kind of funny. And, uh, yeah, just, just go back through it. So, um, yeah, big things ahead. Maybe even uh, some kind of um, – I wouldn't say like a release tour, but maybe some kind of reading tour. I'd love to do some book readings or some events because the amount of NBA Jam material I've got is just off the charts. So <laughs> – yeah, hoping for things to come from it, but we'll see. Well, you're welcome here anytime. Uh, Rayan Ali, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much again for having me on. 
All right. Thank you one more time to our guest, Rayan Ali. He's writing the NBA Jam book from Boss Fight Books, which you can check out a little bit later this year. Read the prologue at Kotaku. That is really, really interesting stuff. And check out some of the cool stuff he's doing on Twitter in the meantime as well. If you like the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, we would love to have you subscribe over at iTunes, Google Play, we're on Spotify, you name it, you can probably find us there. Follow all the action at CodeWritePlay.com and also reach out to us and let us know uh, what you're thinking about, what, how you're enjoying these topics. You guys keep playing. My name's Todd Mitchell. We will talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.